0: Take your Bibles. If you hadn't already, do go to 2 Corinthians 8. We're going to be actually in 8 and 9 here uh, today. Uh, say hello again to our other uh, campus around uh, the 828. There's so many great stories, particularly over the last few weeks, that have come from, uh, from every single campus. And part of that is just this emphasis that we're a little over halfway through right now called love your neighbor. And if you're like, uh, where, did, where, did, where did you come up with that phrase? Actually, we did not come up with that phrase. It actually comes from an answer that Jesus gave 2,000 years ago when a theologian. Came up to him and asked him, uh, "Hey, of all this book, what's the what's the thing you I cannot miss? All right, of all the stuff in here, of all the 613 commands, of all that, what do I absolutely, positively cannot miss? What's the number one thing in here?" And he basically gave him this answer. And you see it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and it says the same thing. It says, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then it says, and one of the translations says, and the second is like it or it comes from it. The other one just goes right into it. And it says this, and it says, and you will love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, it's one A and one B. If you do 1A, you cannot help but to do 1B. If 1A is true in your life, then 1B will come from the overflow of 1A. And so what we've been doing as a church is drilling down into what does that look like for us? What does that look like for you as an individual? A part of that is understanding, you know what, there's individual application. You know, who is my neighbor? And so week one, we talked about, you know what, love does, love does. And we challenged you to get to know the people who live right around you. And it's been great to hear uh, from emails about conversations you've had, parties you've attended, meals that you've provided. Great, great job with that. Uh, The second one was at who's at your table all right? Expand who is in your, who is your neighbor. Expand just the five houses around you and expand that outside of your comfort zone to, you know, who is at your table. And then last week was probably the hardest one, and that is how do you love people who don't love you, all right? How do you love people who dislike you? How do you love your enemy, and who is your enemy, and how do you love them? So we've got a couple more weeks with that. Uh, today we're actually going to talk about, a little bit about how does this affect you and how does this affect us congregationally. Congregationally, we've tried to apply this a bunch of different ways. A few weeks ago, we put on basically a big party for our entire region, all right? And we had about 11,000 guests show up and it was a great party. You volunteered, you provided, great job with that. Uh, This week we've got kids that are going to be taking gift bags to about 12 different uh, first responder posts throughout the 828 to say just thank you, right? Thanks for being a fireman. Thanks for being a policeman. Thanks for watching over us, all right? Thanks for making this a great place to live. Just thank you for that. And then in about two weeks, the thing that we've talked about several times, and you'll actually see a video here at the end, is is God has opened up a door for us as a church uh, to identify a thousand very high-need elementary school kids, and then to step into that gap and provide for them in a very material way, from coats to boots to scooters to clothes to sweatshirts to gift cards to all of that, how do we not just declare the gospel, how do we Demonstrate the gospel. So that is happening in just a couple of weeks on the 24th. Uh, but here's what I want to kind of just lay the groundwork. Uh, historians for years have looked at how did the early church explode in growth, particularly in the first few first few centuries when they had no political power. All right, when they had no when they were being persecuted uh, socially, some of them were being killed physically. And yet the gospel just started off with a small group of people and then exploded all over the Middle East, all up into Europe, all over into Asia. How in the world did the gospel spread so fast in that regard? I mean, how did it go that way? And what they come back and discover and what they note over and over and over again, it wasn't their wealth, it wasn't even their theology because their theology was like, what do you mean a guy was raised from the dead? What they identify over and over again was the amazing mercy, compassion and generosity that they showed to their cities in which they were in i'll give you two examples one example was the plagues would sometimes come through these these cities and when that would happen all the people of affluence and influence they would leave the city to try to not get sick but the historians say what would happen is the christians would stay in the town because the people would leave all the sick people behind all the people with the plague they leave behind and then they'd leave the city, but the Christians would stay behind and nurse those people, and some of the Christians would die, they said because they were not even scared of death, and yet their generosity and their compassion and even their sacrifice just demonstrated to so many people that you know what? that 's the gospel they 're demonstrating the gospel that God's generous, and so are we. i'll give you one more story. This is a story that kind of survived antiquity and it records the journey of again a guy named Pachaeus all right so Pachaus in general don't you need to write the name down, but here's basically what happened to this guy and he wrote it down okay he 's about twenty years old, and the Romans come in and they attack and they take over his city, a city called Thebes, and what they would do when they would come over and, and, and basically sack a city is they would take all the young men and they would basically draft them into the Roman army but they knew that they would run away and they would leave so what they would do before they could train them is they put them in jail and they put them in jail until they had enough time to then go train them to go into the Roman army and so this guy named Pacameas he records the story they came into his town they put him in jail and about that time a famine hit that town and what happened is night after night after night, these strange, mysterious people would come in to the jail and they would slip food through the bars to all of these people who had been in prison to be able to go and then fight for the Roman army. So night after night after night, these people would come in, give food to the prisoners. The prisoners would eat it, and therefore they would survive. And they would like, well, Who are these people? Who are these people? Pretty soon he found out these were what they called the Galileans or the followers of the way, or what they soon became known as as the Christians. And so this kind of impacting me. It's like, I got to figure out what is up with him. So after he got out of serving his term in the Roman army, he went and he started to find some Christians. Like, tell me about why did you do what you do? And so they told him. They told him about the sacrificial death of Jesus, the resurrection, and he became a Christian. Pacamius became a Christian. He then eventually became a leader in the early church, and then they sainted him a long time ago. It's called Saint Pacamius just because he says, you know what? He was so committed to the cause, but what started it was the generosity of normal, everyday Christians just like you and I. And so here's the challenge today. Generosity changed the world one time. God's generosity toward us, and then in turn, their generosity toward the people that they were with Amy Carmichael said, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. And so here's what we've been talking about. We're talking about love does. We've been talking about, you know, who's at your table. We're talking about how do you love your enemies. We also got to talk about the fact that everybody in this room, we know, we know that love shows in its generosity. Now, let me start off with two disclaimers. Number one, because I already know what you're thinking. All right. Because anytime, anytime we address this, people get nervous and they get nervous for a couple of reasons. All right. Actually, I get nervous as well. So here's uh, here's note number one. Uh, people are always trying to uh, inspire you to give they're trying to inspire you to give motivate you to give guilt you into giving and that's not what my goal is today uh, my goal is for you to ask the self the question for me to ask myself the question is am I a generous person in general just with my life am I a generous person And then secondly, I would say this. I want to realize, again, people do get nervous when preachers talk about this. And I would say, again, I used to, and here's the reason I used to. I I reflected on it. Why did I used to get so nervous about talking about this? And here's what it was. It was mainly the fear of man. Not growing up in church, and then when I became a Christ follower and then got called into ministry and then started to actually understand what it was what was supposed to do as a pastor I was so nervous and I just so did not want to be grouped into that group of uh, fancy televangelists that have the fancy suits and the slick back hair and their wives have hair like Pepto-Bismol color and all that is like I do not want to be that guy all right I don't want to be that guy that just it repulses me when they make these promises that God does not promise like I don't want to be, I don't want to be that guy. But not long ago, I mean, God reminded me, listen, it's not your job. It's not your job to raise money for a thousand children. It's your job to disciple your people. You disciple your people. I will take care of the needs that I want to get addressed. And so, and and again, I know some of you are like, man, I cannot believe it. I cannot believe it been asking my neighbor to come to church for two years. Every time I'd ask him, he'd say, all y'all do is talk about money and generosity. I, I said, not my pastor, not my pastor. I finally bring him here. Boom. That's what you talk about. So let me give you this. Here's a disclaimer as well. If for whatever reason, whether you got burned sometime, whether you got a bad experience, whether you're not a Christ follower yet, I say this with all sincerity, and I've said it a few times, and any we've talked about this is this. I would rather you learn to be generous elsewhere and just put the principles into effect for your life until you can learn to trust whatever church you're a part of, right? I mean that, all right? We've got plenty of people that believe in what God is doing here. They believe in blessed child. They believe in all that stuff. So if you're like, I don't trust you. I don't know you. I don't, I don't, that's fine. That's fine. Then don't, don't do anything today. Just listen and then apply it somewhere else. And maybe down the road, God will latch you onto a local church, his bride. That's fine. But for today, just take your defenses down and ask yourself the question, am I, just generally speaking, am I a generous, am I a generous, person because the bottom line is I if I'm going to pastor and shepherd well it would be negligent if I never talked about this generosity is talked about over 2200 times in the Bible 2200 times talks about generosity in comparison faith is talked about 775 times hope like 187 times and yet 2200 times it talks about generosity and so to be a disciple I've got to learn all right what is my what are God's expectations of me am I a generous person? That's the question I want you to ask yourself. Am I just a generous person? Now, nobody really wants to define what generous is, and it's hard to. I mean, you're like, you might feel generous if you like gave a dollar to a homeless person one time. Maybe you feel generous if you went down to the soup kitchen and you served one time. You're like, I feel feel generous. The question is, there are certain attributes, characteristics that almost all generous people have. There's certain things, and I'm going to just try to I'm going to try to winnow down the two most concentrated chapters in the whole Bible about generosity into three very simple statements. And I want you to ask yourself the question, is that a description of me? If it's not a description of me, do I need to adjust? Okay. And again, if you're still kicking the tires of the Christian faith, the reason you need to understand this is, point one is, guess what, is our generosity is based off God's generosity to us. So don't just tune it all out. What I'm going to challenge my people to do is this. Ask yourself the question, does my life reflect the generosity that God has actually shown toward me? Now here's the, here's the context. The context of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 is this. In 1 Corinthians, Paul had challenged, he had challenged the Corinthian Christians. The Corinthian Christians were fairly well off for that day and time, and they were almost all non-Jew. So he had a Gentile church that was fairly well off. And he's like, you know what? You guys are well off, but I've got a church in Judea that is really, really struggling in poverty now. And so what I want to challenge you to do is be generous. And he's taking up this offering to help the Christians in Judea to get through their tough time that they're going through. And so he comes to 2 Corinthians, and he's trying to motivate them to be generous people. And again, it's the most concentrated section in the Bible about generosity. Just read the two chapters sometime. There's probably 20 principles in here. I tried to winnow them down to three that you can ask yourself, M, does that describe me? Does that describe me? So let me give you the first couple verses, and then I'll give you the first principle. 2 Corinthians 8.8, 8, here's what he says. I, I's Paul, he's the one that wrote this letter. I say this not as a command, which by the way, what is this? What is this? What is this he's talking to? Well, here's the deal. When you look at that, you look at what is called the context. The context, you look at what is around it. In particular, you look at what is before it. When he's referring to something before, you would ask the question, what is he referring to right before this? Well, verse 7 says, you know what? You're doing awesome in some areas. You're doing awesome in some faith. Corinthians, you got like great faith. You're believing God to bless your marriage. You believe in God to do certain things. Great job. You're great in your passion, and your earnestness. You're doing really well, okay? You're really doing well in your knowledge, man. You study the Bible. You do that all the time. He said, but just like you're excelling in these areas, I want you to excel in this area of generosity. Because he says, I don't say this as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. He's like, I want you to prove that your love is genuine. When you go and you're on an airplane, you've got to go through... uh, TSA, and when you go through TSA, you've got to give them an ID, a photo ID, and they put it through, I don't even know what that little scanner thing is, that little teleport system or whatever that is, but what they're saying is, is this the real guy? Is this Bruce, is, is the person that is handing me this ID, is that actually who's standing in front of me? That's the word. I want you to prove, I just don't want you to say you love people, and I want you to just send a Hallmark card, I want you to show that you actually love people. And so verse nine says this, for you know, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, he's not talking about the coins that he had when he was here. Jesus was very poor, and I'll give you that in a second. He's talking about what he had in heaven, okay? He's talking about he's in heaven with all the angels singing to him. That's where he was. But though he was rich, yet for your sake, yet for your sake, for your sake. You need to be able to personalize that if you're a Christ follower. For my sake, for my sake, he became poor. When he's on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All the sin, all of your sin debt, all of your vileness, every thought that you've had, every wicked motive that you had, every word that you've said, everything that you've ever acted on, that got poured out on Jesus right there. That's when he became a spiritual pauper so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I mean, that's the gospel. So let me give you this first motivation. First motivation or the first The first picture I want you to ask yourself, am I a generous person? Ask yourself, is my motivation, am I motivated by God's grace? Am I motivated by God's grace? There's three ways people try to motivate. Sometimes people motivate by guilt. All right, Baptists, we're great at that, all right? We're like great at motivating by guilt. Do it, do it. I mean, don't you understand? People are starving on the other side of the world. You ought to feel bad, so do this. Sometimes people motivate people by greed. That's prosperity theology. Prosperity theology is, you know what? God promises to give you all of this money if you just do this. And you hear preachers with the Pepto-Bismol hair, they talk about this all the time. Okay, send me this and send me a hundred bucks and then, you know what? I will plant a seed for you or I will give you this prayer cloth or whatever, okay? It's greed. What you're saying is, you know what? You're actually discounting the whole gospel. You're saying God's best blessings are coins versus maybe it might be much better like contentment in your marriage or your family comes back together or your children are not materialistic or whatever it is. Or you motivate by the gospel. You motivate by grace, okay? Okay. Grace is, you know what? God's been generous to me. God's been, God leveraged his life. Jesus leveraged his life for me. So what I've got to do is then leverage my life for the gospel and the kingdom and for other people. So the whole idea is I am motivated by God's grace, all right? He says, you know, you've experienced, you've experienced this. He says, prove your love is genuine. In other words, what he's saying is how could a person really experience all of the grace of God and then not show grace to somebody else? How could somebody experience all the compassion of God and the generosity of God and yet not show generosity and compassion to somebody else? Now, loved ones, this is not some brand new deal that Paul's dreaming up. This is all over the Bible. Let me, give you one, let me give you one text just to jot down, don't turn to it, but listen to how plain this is in 1 John 3. He says, by this we know love that he laid down his life for us. Sorry, he goes, this is how we know love. We know love because Jesus laid down his life for me. So you're like, well, it's not been a great week. Well, you know God loves you. It's not that God doesn't love you. He proved it 2,000 years ago. So they're saying, you know what? He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just write it in the sky. I love you, world. He actually did something about it. He says, I love you, and he laid down his life. He made the invisible visible and real. But the text goes on. It says that he laid down his life for us, that we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But here's verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love live in him? Here's what it says. It how can you be a follower of Jesus knowing that Jesus was amazingly generous to us and yet not be generous to other people? With your time, your talents, your treasure, all of that, how can you do that? It says you can't be that way. Now, that is the reason that the next chapter he says, I want you to be generous but not under compulsion. You know what compulsion is? Compulsion means, you know what, I'm gonna make you feel really bad if you don't do that. And you know something in my wicked heart, when I get to talking about whether it's compassion or blessed child or whatever, I can go there so easy, okay? I can go there. I'm like, you know what? You know what? If you won't put out a measly 150 to take care of some kid in Macon County, you stink as a human being. I mean, I can... I can go there. And I can actually go there with some joy, which means you pray for me. But I'm just saying that's not that's not exactly that's not exactly what he's saying. He's saying do not do so reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, gospel heart change is not is not man I better give to God or God's going to be ticked at me. I better give him my tithe or you know what God's just going to strike me down. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, you know what? You don't do a guilt offering because you feel bad. It's because, you know what? God has shown me grace, so I'm going to show other people grace. All right? People are always talking about in leadership books, what's the most effective way? Is it the carrot or is it the stick? Is it the stick? Is it the carrot? Okay? Is it the stick? You know, the stick is, you know what? Do it, do it, do it, do it. Okay? Or is it the carrot? Here's what I've got out here. Listen, it's, it's again, it's, it's not guilt and it's not greed. The motivation has got to be grace. The motivation is God has been gracious to me, so I'm going to be gracious to somebody else. Question on the floor real quick. Number one, do you know God's grace and do you give from that? Be honest with you. Honestly, I've I've got more conviction about this all week long. If you don't want to give that way, I'm not saying that God can't use it. God can still use his mission, whether you're a grizzly old person that doesn't ever want to do it. But you're going to, you don't even get the blessing out of it. All right. So. Can you, can you do it with generosity? It actually uses the word hilarious. It's not like the, hey, I'm so, it's just like, I'm so happy that I get to actually make a dent in the kingdom because of what God's done for me. So question number one is, are you motivated by grace? Question number two, do you manage what God gives? Do you manage what God gives? Do you manage what God entrusts to you? That's really the number one question that a Christian needs to ask about really his life. So go down to verse eight of chapter nine. Let me show you, let me show you this verse. It's pretty cool. It says, and God is able. God's able. That, that's pretty cool. God's able. Able means, Abel's the word we get our word dynamite from. It's like, you know what? Not broke at all. God is able to make, and he uses hyperbole just to say, let me drive my point home. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So let me make a couple of notes about this. Um, this is not about a, a need that God has, but it's about grace that God wants to give. Let me say that again. This is not, God does not have needs. Can we start off on that baseline understanding? God does not have needs. There's so many places we could go. In the Gospels, Peter's worried about how is he going to pay his tax bill. Jesus takes a gold coin out of a fish's mouth. How awesome would that be, All right? You get, IRS comes after you, excuse me, let me go to the lake and get my tax return out of a fish's mouth. That would be awesome. That would be so much fun. I'll tell you another one that's pretty cool, even a more well-known story, and that is the whole story about the little kid with the five loaves and the little fish. Remember that? Alright, There's like 5,000 men, which in those days and times, you can probably multiply that up to about 15,000 people. They've gone out to hear Jesus teach. They're ways away from any kind of publics, all that kind of stuff. They don't have any of that. It's like, how are we going to feed them? How are we going to feed them? They're like, what do you have? What do you have? Well, we found this little boy, and he's got five loaves and two fish. A couple things about that story. Number one is, question on the floor, did Jesus need, because the story goes this. The story is that Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, multiplies them, feeds 15,000 people, and has 12 baskets left over. 12 baskets left over. So question on the floor, Did you, what if the guy had only had, let's say, two loaves and one fish? You think Jesus was like, oh, can't do my miracle. What do you think? Okay, all right. I, I think if it was like one fish and half a loaf, he could have done the same thing. So it's not the question, it's like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't have enough fish. I don't have enough loaves. If you look carefully at the text in John 6, what because ab- we think of it like this. We think he brings it up there, and Jesus is like, abracadabra, poof, and there's this big pile of food, and everybody comes and gets it. That's not what the text says. The text says, actually, that he takes it, and he puts it into the disciples' hand, and when he put it into the disciples' hand, then it multiplied. What does that mean? That means, technically, it really didn't multiply until the disciples gave it away. Technically what happened is the the miracle happened when the disciples took the little that they had and when the boy gave what little he had, he put it into the hands of Jesus, then he puts it in the hands of his followers and when he put it in the hands of his followers and they distributed it, it was like boom! How awesome is that? Can you imagine, by the way, the story the little boy tells when he comes home to his mom? I mean, That would that'd be fun. It's like, man, I gave you quite a bit. Well, I, don't tell me that he didn't take at least one of those 12 baskets home, okay? He took at least one of those home. Hey, what did you do today? I saw a miracle. Look at his food. Look what happened right here. Now, some of us are the opposite. Some of us are like, well, when God blesses, then I'll be generous. When God blesses, then I'll be Generous. God actually says, I'm not going to bless it. I'm not going to multiply it until you are generous. And some of you actually have God sitting on the sidelines of all of your life, much less your finances, because you're like, you know what? I'm not going to trust him until he does something. God says, done something, trust me in this, and then I will bless. I'll give you a uh, kind of, I would just say, there's a bunch of different examples. Let me me do a couple more verses, then I'm going to give you this one that I thought, okay, I know that one. Look at at verse 9. As it is written... He is distributed, and by the way, when you see a little phrase, as it is written, he's referring back to something that was written. Okay, great. It's as it was written, but he's referring almost all the time back into the Old Testament, okay? So he's like, you've you've seen it written, and he's picking it, this is a verse out of Psalm 112. And he says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He is God. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. What's he saying right there? It says, God is made, God is distributing to the poor, but he's doing it through people. Could God have chosen another way? Absolutely, he could have. God could take a drone and put food in it and drop it over every needy place in Western North Carolina. He could do that. He could drop coats over every homeless person. He could do that. What he chooses to do is come alongside and say, you know what, the church is gonna be my co-laborers with me to get the great commission and the great commandment out because I've given you some stuff that I want you then to distribute freely to the poor. We know this, some of you grew up as a single child and and I'm sorry because you missed out on a bunch of stuff, all right? And a bunch of the stuff is when you grow up with siblings, Basically what you've got to learn how to do either by command or fiat or consequence is you learn how to share. If you've got two cookies and uh, your mom and your sister has zero, your mom says what? All right, Eat them quick before she takes those other wretched little hands. That's not what she says. What does she say? She says, she says give one to your sister. Why? Because you're like, something is off when I got two She's got none. Something feels weird. It's like we, we have to do something. And so here's the idea. When we get involved with God, we are taking our place in a plan that is much bigger than just our little old life. When we get involved in something, we're getting involved in something that he has committed himself to. And he has committed himself to getting supplies to the poor. And he has committed himself to getting the gospel out to all the world. And so you and I get to come alongside and what is my part in it? How do I partner with God in this? And so here's verse 10. And this is like, he didn't even have to do this, but here's kind of the way that he works it. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So he again is God. He who supplies seed to the sower, bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You're like, well, there's a lot of words I don't really understand in here. Let me put it this way. This is a great word play that he has here and he's breaking down the myth. He's breaking down the myth of ownership. He's breaking down the whole myth that you and I own stuff. He says, you know what? I gave seed to the sower. Now some of you are really getting a little bit ticked off and this is a bad time to get up and go to the bathroom right now because everybody will think that guy's cheap as can be. But here's the idea, here's the idea. The idea is, the idea is I gave you that, I gave you that. And I'm not saying you didn't work hard. I'm not saying you didn't work hard. You worked hard for that. Who gave you the ability to get up in the morning with health and brain waves? Who gave you that, okay? Well, I got business acumen. Well, who gave you the business acumen? Well, I just had perfect timing when I jumped. Well, who is the author of the time? The question. Would you be in the same exact boat if by the grace of God you were born in, let's say, you know, a Chinese rice field in the 15th century? Probably not. Now you're like, well, I don't wanna feel guilty. I didn't come to church to feel guilty. We're not supposed to feel guilty. We're just supposed to feel responsible. And there's a difference, just responsible. What is the way that I'm partnering with God in order to love my neighbor as myself? Because the guy's like, you know what? I baked the bread. He's like, well, where'd you get the bread? Well, I used wheat. Where'd you get the wheat? A seed. Well, who gave you this seed? That's what he's backing it down to. So here it is. Generous people act like managers, not owners. They act like managers, not owners. They don't, it's like, this is my life. I'll do with it what I want. That's not what He says, so uh, let me break this down for you this way. Um, test me, test me if this is not a struggle. After church today, why don't you take your kid and why don't you go to Walmart and why don't you buy him an Xbox? Okay, just take your kid, take your kid, go to Walmart, buy them an Xbox. If your kid's with you right now, they're probably going, "Hey, I love this church. Let's let's join this church right now." All right. So here's what I'm saying. I'm, and just go there. Go to Walmart. And say, you know what? I'm buying you this Xbox because I, because I love you. Because I love you. I mean, when you go up there and you take it off the shelf, hand it to her, okay? Let her caress that Xbox. Let her hold that Xbox. Walk up to the counter. Let them dream of what they can do with that Xbox. Now, you go up to the counter. Now, you pay for it, but let them hold it on the way home in the car, okay? On the way home in your car. Let them have that. Let them hold. Let them talk about what they're going to do to it. When they get home, help them set it up. All right, get the thing set up on your television in your living room in your house that you paid for. Let them do all of that stuff. And then go into the kitchen for like 30 minutes and drink a cup of coffee, eat a sandwich or something like that. Let them play with it. And then 30 minutes later, you come back out and say, hey, buddy, hey, hey, Scooter. It's it's, it's daddy's turn to play. I tell you what's gonna happen a lot of times. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine. I wanna play, this is mine. He's like, yeah, I bought it for you like 30 minutes ago at Walmart. Yeah, but it's it's mine, it's mine. Now listen, any parent worth their salt is not gonna let that stand. Any parent worth their salt is like, hey, little buddy, hey, little buddy, let's talk about something. And you're going to sit them down, and you're going to try to teach them. This is what generosity is. This is what sharing is. This is what it means to share with others. This is the way this whole thing works at all. And I would just submit to us that you and I do the same thing when the Lord looks down and asks you for anything that you and I think we own. And we're like, that's, that's mine, that's mine. He's like, no, I gave that to you. You're like, no, you gave it to me, you gave it to me. He's like, I gave that to you for a reason. I gave it to you for a reason. Now, the only reason is not generosity. The Bible talks about things like enjoy what God has given you, 1 Timothy chapter six. Proverbs talks at length about the wise man saves his money. It even talks about a wise man leaves an inheritance for his kids. But the question you gotta ask is, why has God given me excess? Just ask the question, why has God given me excess? Why has given me actually more than I need? 90% of us at church today, not 100%, okay? Not 100%. 90% of us, we got more than we need. And you just have to ask the question as a manager, what do you want me to do with that? It's not a scary question. As a matter of fact, he motivates us so much that he says this, verse 11. He didn't even have to do this, you understand that? When my kids did that, that scenario I just painted, I did not respond well back in the day. I did not respond like God responds to us. You know what? I was like, what? What? Your, your, your Xbox or Wii or whatever it was back then, your PlayStation, are you kidding me? That's my television. Those clothes are mine. I bought those clothes. Strip those clothes off, all right? I bought those clothes for you. Why don't you go to the bedroom that I provided for you, okay? I'm just saying, Lori actually acted that way. I acted nice. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Here's, here's what he says. Here's like the extra motivation. You will be enriched in every way. What does that even mean? You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. They're like, well, break that down for me. In every way. Way. Well, what what way? Well, just give you a couple. Again, we do not preach a prosperity gospel here, but what they have taken way past biblical norms, there is biblical precedent there. Could it be financial? It could be. It's not that those are the best necessarily, but it could be that. The Bible has a ton of things in there. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. You know, honor the Lord with the first of all your produce and see if he does not overflow your vats with new wine. Could it be uh, different than that? You ever thought about this? What you sow, he's using an agrarian picture. He's like, what you sow looks pretty different than what you sometimes reap. Sometimes what you sow, the seed, you put a seed in the ground, whether, but if you put a peach seed in the ground, it doesn't look like a peach, correct? So sometimes it's different and it's almost always greater though. All right, you put a little wheat in the ground and a big wheat stalk comes up that has tons of seeds. You put a little acorn in the ground, and a big oak tree comes up with billions of acorns. So sometimes it's different. It's almost all the time greater and it's almost all the time later. What could it look like? It could look like contentment with what you actually already have. We are the most discontented generation ever. We're the most wealthy generation ever, but we're the most discontented generation ever. In general, Christians are the greediest we've ever been. You're like, why are you being, I'm just saying, generally speaking, Christians today in the United States give less and give less to anybody than we did during the Great Depression, percentage-wise. You're like, well, I'm waiting until I get a lot. You know what, actually, percentage-wise, once we get over a threshold of like 45,000, I can't remember the study, then it actually begins to go down. That is the wealthier we get, the less percentage we go down or the less percentage we actually are gener- I'm talking about generosity at anything, boys club or anything. And so uh, maturity says this belongs to you. Immaturity says this is my life, it's my stuff, and I'll see you in heaven. And you're like, well, what, what, what difference is it gonna make? Well, this is kind of the last one, is you make a big difference. You can make a big difference. You can't help everybody, but you can't help somebody. You can't help everybody, but you can't help somebody. So let me ask you the question again. Are you a generous person? Ask yourself the question, all right? Number one, okay, am I motivated by God's grace? Is that what is my driving mentality? Or am I trying to buy God off or pay him off? Or should I do it or I feel guilty? Is it because of God's grace? Second one, do I see myself as a manager? or an owner? Which one do I see? Am I an owner or am I a manager? And then lastly, it's okay to say, you know what? I'm so excited that I get to be a part of something bigger than myself. Check out what these verses say. Look at uh, verse 11b on, it says this, it talks about your generosity and here's what he says the result will be, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Who's he referring to? He's referring to the Judean Christians that when they get that, they don't starve to death. And they're like, awesome, thank God for sending those people. But he gets even better. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only, and here's the two things that you see, it's not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. It's providing needs. It's actually taking care of some needs. And last verse. By their approval of this service, what will happen? What will happen? I love this. They'll glorify God. They'll glorify God because of your submission. In other words, following through with what you were supposed to do, Corinthians. He says there's a time when they will actually glorify God because you obeyed God. I mean, how awesome is that? They'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying your confession is tied your confession is tied to the way that you act out your faith. So here's the the deal. With a church like ours, that's strong Bible, 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 what we tend to gravitate toward, we gravitate toward declaring the gospel, which we should. Please understand this. You don't demonstrate the gospel and never declare it. And by the way, that whole quote from St. Francis of Assisi, it's like, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It's stupid, and St. Francis didn't even say it, okay? He didn't even say it. Somebody on a blog post 1,000 years ago made that up. St. Francis, every indication is that got attributed to him, all right? That's like, call my phone, but, you know, if necessary, use digits. I mean, that makes no sense at all, all right? The gospel is not what you and I do for poor people. That's not the gospel, okay? The gospel is what God did for us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When we were spiritually poor, he came and saved us like we saw in the first verse. But the demonstration of the gospel is people who have been changed by the grace of God and the graciousness of God and the generosity of God then become gracious themselves, then become generous themselves. Can you imagine just in western North Carolina, with all the different viewpoints and all the different worldviews we've got in our crazy 828. Eight. Can you imagine with all this cynicism toward Christians in general? I mean, it's awesome that we are taking care of kids in Ecuador. It's awesome that we're doing that. It's awesome that we're, we're gonna take care of a bunch of kids in Western North Carolina. That's awesome. It's awesome we have all those local partners. Can you imagine, though, that if the church, and we can't take care of any church but ours, can you imagine if just our church was known for, you know what, I don't believe what those crazy people think, all right? I don't believe, really, that God actually raised somebody from the dead. But, man, if that's the difference that it makes in their life, so be it. So be it. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. And so here's what you see in this. You can make a big difference. One of the ways you become generous is to see that your generosity produces thanksgiving to almighty God there's why do you think we have stories of God at work all the time because on those stories of God at work you see people's generosity whether your generosity of your time um, the way you teach a class the way that you got out of your comfort zone and reads every one of them has a people connection God using people every video we show has a connection to people it's like you know what you were generous and this is how God used it so let me just point out two things here and then I'm going to show you a quick video is two things he says are, are done, this, as far as, as far as the impact you make. Number one, needs are met. Needs are met. There's growth and generosity. Again, you guys have done some phenomenal stuff. Uh, you've provided child development centers in Ecuador. You've provided farms and wells in Africa. You've done warmth for homeless in Asheville shoes for people in Franklin, a million dollars plus a year in Ecuador over and over and over again. The immediate focus right now is underprivileged children in Buncombe and Henderson and Macon County. 1,000 children that do not have much at all. We have an opportunity to come alongside and actually demonstrate the gospel, build a relationship. We'll have a follow-up in the spring as well. We have an opportunity. You have an opportunity uh, to do this. By the way, God's going to get that need met. The question is, are you going to get to be a part of the blessing? That's the real question. But needs are going to get met. Second thing is that it says it will glorify God. Again, the gospel is not you and I meeting tangible needs. That's a social gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not let's go help poor people. That's not the gospel. Please hear me on that. Helping poor people is a fruit of the gospel though. Helping people in great need, that is the outworkings, the demonstration of what we're declaring. Okay, If you declare it, and never demonstrate it, all it looks like is a bunch of people in an ivory tower. Okay, If all you do is demonstrate it and never declare it, you're really not even a New Testament church. What we wanna do is both declare it loud and demonstrate it in a clear, clear way. And so uh, they go together, they go together. And so some of you are like, well I can't do it, it just overwhelms me. I can't do for everybody, I can't do for everybody. I'm limited in my resources, we say it a lot. Do for one do for one, maybe 10, if you're real blessed, do for one, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So here's what I wanna do. Uh, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna trust you guys that in the next three minutes, as we show this quick video, uh, you won't get up and leave, okay? If you do that, um, especially you guys at West, at, uh, at West Asheville, just kidding, all right? So um, i tell you what, I'm just gonna trust that you don't, because you love God, right? So let's see the video and then I'll come back and we'll close up.
1: It's easy to think that children or families in need only live in other countries or in other towns. But the reality is hurting children and families just trying to get by are all around us They're in our schools, our playgrounds, our neighborhoods, and as Christ followers, we've got to do something about it. Sadly, more often than not, there's just so many kids in our area that are just dealing with stuff that we couldn't even imagine. Maybe the parents are out at work. You know, they're having to cook their own meals. They're having to almost be an adult before you know they ever needed to be an adult. Our desire as a church is to come alongside and be a blessing to as many of these kids as we can. Uh, One of the things we say a lot here at Biltmore is that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. And Jesus calls us to do things for other people because of the blessings that he's given us. We've got a really awesome opportunity coming up as a church here in the next few weeks where we're going to be able to gather at all of our different campuses and serve some of the most underprivileged and under-resourced kids in our three counties.
2: It's really a tough environment out there for a lot of our parents. and We, we find, again, that it's, it's not an issue of parents not caring because they really want the best for their, for their children. Uh, but in many cases, we have especially single parents that are struggling uh, paycheck to paycheck. It, it's, it's those struggles that often leave uh, uh, that child or children in the family to be, uh, to be more alone in terms of that, that support being able to be provided by the parent. I think some of the, just the biggest needs fall into the category of just uh, the essential basics. Uh, it's that uh, security. Um, it, it may be in the form of uh, shoes and clothing.
1: Uh, So what we've done is, with a partnership with Walmart and our local school systems, we're going to be delivering $150 worth of supplies that are just going to meet great needs for these kids. And so we're asking our people, we're asking you as a church, um, to give whatever you can, to give whatever God is leading you with. Uh, Each one of these kids, they're going to get things like a winter coat, a sweatshirt, sweatpants, a good pair of boots, you know, socks, gloves, toboggan. And so we hope that this day is just the beginning of a really awesome initiative over the next few years where we're able to come alongside these families and just show them how much we care about them, but also, and more importantly, uh, show them that God loves them and God provides for them.
2: We're very blessed that uh, as as Biltmore's effort to love your neighbor, that is coming into our neighborhood. So thank you, Biltmore.
0: All right, let, me, uh, let me say a couple of words of instruction, and uh, then I'll hand it over to the other campuses. Uh, I want to be clear, though, right? Uh, the, if you're not a Christ follower, this is really perfectly done from the overflow of knowing what God gave you. You can't, you can't buy God. You can't buy salvation. So the gospel is, again, uh, that God gave, John 3:16 that God gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. So we do it as a response to what God gave. But that's like that's the one A, all right? This is this can't be done until this is done. So make sure you have that down. If you got questions about that, definitely want to talk to you after the service, explain, answer any questions you've got. But once you become a Christ follower, the call is how do I leverage my life for the kingdom? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you two or three different options uh, as we close. First one, the easiest one, and you can do this right now. If you want to just take your phone and text the word blessed to 28282, Um, I'm not going to guilt you. I'm not going to fire you up, but I'm just going to say right now, right now you can do that, all right? Right now, it'll take you about 45 seconds to be able to do that, all right? You and I do this all the time, bills, all that kind of stuff. Right now, you just text the word blessed to 28282 and you'll get the information shot right back to you. I would challenge you before we get back and you start watching ball games and like, well, you know, I forgot. And then two weeks goes by and then you're like, oh, that was that cool thing they were doing at the church and I forgot I had no part in it at all. Go ahead and make sure that you do that. The best time to do something is right now, all right? Right now, if you've got to take a little time after service, you can stay in your seat, that's fine. If it's easier for you, just go to the website, biltmorechurch.com slash bless, and it'll basically give you all the information as well. All right, another way you can do it: There's iPads in all of the lobbies where you can go over there and do that. And here's what I would challenge parents, in particular, to do: is really this is a discipleship issue for your kids. All right, you as a parent are called to disciple. All right, you're the first discipler way before the children's pastors, way before the student pastors. You are the disciplers. All right, you're discipling. You're teaching values. One of the coolest things you could do before the end of the day maybe before you leave the church campus that you're at, is share with them verbally, hey, honey, here's what we're doing, all right? We're gonna sponsor these children, and here's what's gonna happen. Because as you probably know, or maybe they don't know, you know, not everybody's got all this stuff. Not everybody's got all this stuff. And then on the 24th, we're gonna actually be delivering some of that, and we're gonna pray God would build a relationship with that family. And down there, is everybody, when you hand them goods, are they gonna go, I, I'm gonna confess Jesus. Not everybody... And definitely not everybody immediately. What you're doing is you're building a relationship and you're demonstrating God's the one who saves, but he uses people just like us. And so it would be great to do that verbally. We're always talking about uh, what an impact taking your kid on a mission trip would be. Down through the years, my kids went to uh, everything from Molly, West Africa to all these different places. And particularly when you go to a place that doesn't have what you have, you always come back and go, man, I'm sure glad I took my kid on a mission trip because now they appreciate what they have. Loved ones, if I can just be so kind as to say, you don't have to necessarily get on a plane and fly over to Africa to take your kid on a mission trip. Sit there and go, hey, honey, God has put us on mission. Here's some verses we looked at about generosity. And so we're going to kind of cut some things back out here. We're going to not eat out this week or whatever so that we can take take this package and make sure these kids do have that.